0: Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got we also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together, but enjoy the message, and God bless you. Well, I gotta tell you, I am so excited to get into the Word tonight. This is—I uh, know I say this too often—but this is something that God has been stirring up in my life, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years. And it's such an important message. So to get started, help me out. You know I like interactive preaching. You preach it just as much as I preach it. Would you look to a neighbor? Choose anyone you want tonight. No games tonight. Just—just just choose a neighbor. You got him? You got your neighbor, and say, "Don't get." comfortable I know that chair is nice but don't get comfortable the dating people the married people said that with a lot of force don't get comfortable don't forget what you got now look at your other neighbor and say this you're not stay in here come on say it better you're not staying here Now you are for the next 35 minutes through the sermon. Okay, don't go anywhere. I need you to stay here. But you're not staying here in this current scene of your life. There is more to your story. That's what I want to tell you tonight. That is the word of the Lord for you, that there is so much more to your story. This current scene will not be the end of your story. Why? Because I believe it to be true that for every single one of you in this room tonight, God has a call on your life. Come on, does anyone believe that God designed you for a purpose and has a plan for you? He knows the number of hairs on your head. He has got a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's called a call. So now I'm going to break every rule of preaching that there is, everything they tell you in seminary, and I'm just going to give you my whole message up front and then make you endure the rest. Cool? Can we do that? Here's the points that I want to tell you tonight, because I'm too excited. I don't want you to miss it. Here's what it is. Number one, you can be in comfort. Everyone go comfort. Yeah, comfy. Big comfy couch. You can be in comfort. Number two, you can be in control. All my control freaks say control. control. Come on, that's me. I'm a control freak. <laughs> control. Or, everybody say or. or. Say it better. Or. You can be in Christ. You're clapping real big, but I don't know if you like where this one's going to go. Because what I came to tell you tonight is you cannot be all three of those things. You can be in comfort for a season. You can be in control a little bit. Or you can be in Christ. But to be in Christ, my friends, intrinsically means that you are not in control you are in Christ and very often it means that you are not in comfort but in Christ is the only place that you will find your calling is there anyone who believes that tonight in Christ is the only place you will find your calling. I found that out in my life the hard way God has a call on your life my friends and it is a good one plans to prosper you of peace and hope and a future not to harm you it's a good plan that he has for your life there is so much more in your story and I'm so excited to bring you this word tonight because when you are walking in your calling that is the best place that you could ever be the peace that you receive when your steps are ordered by the Lord and you are walking is a peace that surpasses all understanding but here is the thing about your call about my call it's a collect call Anyone here know what a collect call is? Let me see your hands, I need to know who I'm preaching to. Yeah, this is what I thought. There's not many hands up right now. You know what a collect call is? I didn't say a collections call, okay, I've had those. Not a collections call, a collect call. Let me see one more time, I gotta know some context. Okay, maybe like half of y'all know what a collect call is. So I brought a a prop with me. Can you bring that prop out? We're gonna go to school a little bit tonight before we get in the Word. And then we're give it up for Jesse, bringing my prop out. Yeah, Jesse. River Worship Diploma student, thank you. Excellent placement, right on the spot. Anyone know what this bad boy is? I know it's confusing you because you think it's a phone, but there's a wire attached to it. Like, like, what is that? This is a phone, and this is called a rotary phone. Anyone old enough to remember what a rotary phone is? Yeah, come on, okay. Some of you are like, you saw it in a museum or something. Because I'm looking at you, you're 18, you don't remember what it was like. You've had a cell phone your whole life. This, this thing is crazy. Phones used to be so different. In fact, look, I can't explain it all to you because we got to get to the Word of God. But to dial a phone number on this bad boy took about a day to dial one phone number. Because here's what you would do. If I want to dial the number 9, this is what I do. Okay? And then I want an O because this is whippy, 905. Now I need a 5. You get the point. It's going to take a long time. Okay, this is some pretty terrible technology. Phones used to be so different. So let's get a little more relevant. Who here remembers night and weekend minutes on your phone? Anyone? You know, I got to call you back at 7 p.m. because I ain't got no more minutes left. I got free nights and weekends. I'll call you at 7. You remember that? People under 20 are like, bunch of Neanderthals. What are you, like, talking about? This is, this is crazy stuff. This is how we used to live. This is how I grew up, guys. I'm 34. I grew up waiting to have all my phone calls on nights and weekends. You would get, like, 50 text messages for the whole month. So, like, you wouldn't reply K to a text message. You know, you wouldn't waste one of your 50 on that. Things have changed a lot. In fact, I have a sound that I'm going to play for you in a moment. I just want to see where my OGs are at. Who remembers this sound? You can play it. Okay, okay, enough, enough, enough. You've got mail. Anyone remember that? Yo, that was dial up internet. You had to get your mom to get off the phone so you could connect and hop on MSN Messenger and chat with all your girls and all your guys. MSN Messenger, anybody remember that? AOL, anyone use AIM? You're probably in America or something. That's weird. We use MSN in Canada back in the day. Things have changed a lot. But those aren't the things I want to talk to you about tonight. What I want to talk to you about tonight is a collect call. And about half of you don't know what it is, so I need to explain it to you. You would have a phone probably like this one that you see right here in the days that you used to get a collect call, and and it would ring something like this. It's coming. And it would just keep ringing until you answered it. you go, hello. And if it was a collect call, an operator would come on and they would say this. They'd say, hey, you're receiving a call from Lindsay McVitie, would you like to accept that call, yes or no? And then you would have a decision, and as a married man, you better say yes, Ryan, and you would decide if you're gonna take the call, yes or no. If you said yes, they would patch you through. If you said no, you could hang up the phone and that would be it. But here's the catch. On a collect call, if you said yes, and you accepted that call, you also had to accept the charges. You know what I'm talking about? So if someone was calling you from South Korea, you would think real hard before you say yes, because there would be long-distance charges applied to that phone call. This is how collect calls worked. What I want to preach to you tonight is that the call of God on your life works the exact same way. The phone rings, and if you don't answer it, it rings louder and louder and longer, and longer, and when you do answer it, here's the crazy thing. You don't know what's going to be said on the call. You only know who is calling you, and you got to make a decision based off of who is calling you, whether you're going to say yes and accept the call, or no and deny the call. But when you accept the call, brothers and sisters in Christ, you got to know that there is a price that you then have to pay. This isn't sexy preaching, but this is the type of preaching that can really help you in life. Half y'all church people are real awkward right now because I said that word. This is good preaching that will really help you, but it's not attractive preaching, guys. There is a cost to answering the call of God in your life. The cost is what? It's your comfort, and it's your control. But the reward is your Christ. When you accept your call, the reward is your Christ. Anyone excited about that? Come on. Where are you, where's the excitement? <laughs> to be in Christ. I like them over there. Yeah. Sit up front every week. I like you. <laughs> but, but, you lose your comfort, you lose your, country, your, your control, but you get to be in Christ. They say if is the biggest word in the English language. You ever heard that? I don't think that's true. I think it's but. But is the biggest word in English language. Let me explain that to you. I don't know, uh, where are my guys at? Let me see your hands. Guys, come on. This is, I should see a lot of hands. This should, you should be pretty sure about this thing here, Okay. <laughs> All right, you ever heard this? Oh yeah, I would date you, totally. You're such a nice guy, but I just think of you as a brother. (laughs) Game over. That is girl code for, she ain't never gonna date you, bro, ever, no matter what you do, okay? I just wanna help somebody who's been told that, you need to move on, okay, that's it. You don't recover back from being like a brother. Okay? That's it. It works the same way, ladies. When he says you're like a sister, that's it. Game over. That's it. That but is a big word in that context. But this is church, so let's not be goofy. Let's get serious. Everybody say, but God. Come on, say it like you're a preacher. But God. Yeah, you might know things like this. My flesh and my my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You might say other things like this. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. Come on, that's Joseph preaching. Someone in this room has experienced a betrayal and you thought it was going to take you out, but God is already working it for your good. But God, but God, it happens all over the Bible. It's amazing. See, you got to sacrifice some things, but God has a call on your life. It's a good one. In fact, it's the best one. It's better than any vision that you, you have for your life. But here's what I came to tell you. Your calling will always be outside of your comfort zone. Always. That's why I had you say at the beginning, don't get comfortable because your calling will always be outside of your comfort zone. If you don't believe it, read the Bible. Think of Moses. Moses is charged with being the voice of the Israelites to speak to the most powerful man in the world, and Moses can't speak. He's got a speech impediment. You think speaking was something that would be in his comfort zone to do that? I mean, that's just Moses. Think of Abraham, a promise to father many, many people, a great nation. He's 100 years old, and he doesn't have a son, and his wife is 90. How's that going to happen? Only but God is that going to happen? That's not a comfortable, I don't know, David, he's called to be the anointed one, to be a great king, to be a mighty warrior, to face Goliath. You know, David was a harp player. There's no less intimidating person in the world than a harp player. I've never seen a harp player that I'm scared of and be like, oh, they're going to kill me with a stone. You think that was in his comfort zone? He was courageous, but that wasn't comfortable for him. The sheep were comfortable for him. Music was comfortable for him. I'm telling you this to let you know that your calling will always be outside of your comfort zone. In fact, one of the most successful people I know in life, a man that I really admire, and I don't just mean success in that he's got titles and money, he's got that, but the way he lives his life, the way he treats his family, the way he pours out into his community and honors his God, he talked to me about this one day. He said, Ryan, my greatest fear in life is getting comfortable. It's my greatest fear is to be comfortable because he said the only way I got to where I am was by forcing myself out of my comfort zone. And he said the day I go back into my comfort zone, I'm scared I'm going to lose it all because I only got it by being uncomfortable. Comfort for him is terrifying. And when he first told that to me, I was shocked because I'll just be honest with you, my goal for the, more than the first half of my life was just to get to a place where I could be comfortable. Comfortable income, comfortable family, comfortable job, retire early, move to Florida. You know, the place where pandemics last like two weeks and there's no laws. You can do whatever you want. You know, just go to a place like that and and relax for the rest of my life and be comfortable. That used to be the way that I thought it was all I wanted was to be comfortable. And you might ask me, well, why, pastor, is it bad to be comfortable? Comfortable is bad because it's not where your calling is. Your calling is never inside your comfort zone. We don't hear this kind of preaching a lot today. We hear that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and and he is, but your calling always pushes you beyond. But here's the good news. Peace, joy, contentment, fulfillment, any of the things that really matter in your life, they only happen when you're walking in your call. They only happen when you're step-by-step by, step by faith. So let's get into Scripture. It's been too long without getting into Scripture. Let's do it. Let's jump in. We're going to get into the book of Matthew. This is one of my all-time favorite passages. In fact, my favorite Bible verses in here, so I'm excited to read it with you. Matthew 16, but i got to give you a little context first. We're going to start in verse 21. Who's got a Bible here tonight? Let me see it if you've got your Bible. Oh, he's got, she's got a real Bible. He's got a Bible. Did he put the phone up? That's cool. That's a Bible, too amen, that's how I carry my Bible, that's the way to do it, boot it up then, turn, your, turn it on, go to the app, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 is where we're going to start, this picks up, to give you context, right after Peter, Peter, the great Peter, declares that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the Messiah, and that he actually is the Son of God, and response in response to that, Christ does something incredible, he says, Peter, You are the rock upon which I will build my church. And he gives him the keys to the kingdom. This is incredible. This is what happens. And then we get to verse 21. Now you have the context. Put verse 21 on the screen. From time to time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. The chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now this is important because this is the first time the disciples are hearing this. This is not what they wanted to hear. This is not their expectation. This is not comfortable for them. So Peter, the man who the church is going to be built upon the rock, he says this in verse 22. Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine that, rebuking the Son of God. (laughs) Rebuking him, and he said, Never, Lord. Never, he said, this shall never, ever happen to you. And I think part of that was because Peter loved Christ. This was his rabbi. I won't let them do that to you, Jesus. There's no way I'll let them do that to you. But if we're being honest, I think another part of it was probably that this was not Peter's expectation. This is not what Peter had planned. When he said that, that he would build the church, he didn't think he was going to have to do it alone. <laughs> He thought he'd he'd be doing it as the right hand of the Son of God, Christ in the flesh. This was from love, but I think part of it might have also been a little bit selfish on his part. So let's get to verse 23 and see what Jesus says in response to that. He says this to Peter, the rock. Jesus turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. He calls his disciple Satan. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. These are strong words. I wonder how many times in my life I have been a stumbling block to God's will on my life by saying things to God like never, never God will I get up in front of thousands of people and preach the word of God, never will I do that, never, no, never will I do that. We all have things like that that we say to God, and and he says, he says, get behind me Satan." he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Translation, Peter You're worried about your comfort. You're worried about controlling the situation. But I didn't tell you they're going to try to do it. He says they're going to do it. And he says he needs to die on the cross and be raised to life in three days. And then verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. Ouch. There goes comfort. (laughs) Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To follow someone means that you are not in control anymore. Mm, There goes control. Comfort is gone. Control is gone. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But isn't that what we do today? We try to get in the gates by our own good deeds, by being good people, by trying to save ourselves. My friends, I tell you this all the time. Good people don't get into heaven. Forgiven people get into heaven. It's the only way through those pearly gates is to be forgiven, not by our deeds. That's why Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What Christ is saying, if you want real life, the only way to get it is to hand over control to me, to Christ, to him. Death to ourselves, a surrender to his will and then my favorite verse in all of the Bible if there's one verse for you to live by I believe it's this one for what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and every comfort that it has yet forfeit their soul what can anyone give ex- in exchange for their soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done my friends, that verse, verse 26, changed my life. That verse is my testimony. What will it gain a man? What will he profit if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? See, I lived life for a long time when I was young with the wrong focus. I wanted all the things that the world has to have. I wanted money. I wanted to be known. Part of it's because I'm a fifth generation PK. That's PK, anyone know what PK is? Anyone? Yeah, that's poor kid. (laughs) You thought it was preacher's kid. Is that too. But it's actually poor kid. So I was like, I don't want any of that, man. No, no, I want to go make that money. I want to make a name for myself. I want to do something that will get me in the history books, do something that will last. I want to be known. I wanted all the comfort, and I wanted all the control. But I also said, I'll still be in Christ. You know, I'll still do good. I'll still, you know, do good things. When I have all that money, I'll be giving it around to everybody. Isn't that how we do? Yeah, I'll be generous when I have it, right? Not now, but later on when I have it, then I'll be generous. And and what I looked like was this. I looked like what James chapter 1 says is a double-minded man. James chapter 1 verse 8 says this, that a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. See, when you think that you can be in control you think that you can be comfortable and also be in Christ, here's what you end up looking like. You have one foot in the world and you have one foot in the word. And in 2023, y'all, let me tell you, this is a big problem because the world is getting farther and farther away from the word. And you become unstable. And these skinny joggers that I'm wearing, there's a certain point where I'm not just unstable, where it tears. For your sake, I'm going to stop right now. That's how I was living, though. And if we're honest, this is what we do. We're like, yeah, 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 I can go in the world. That's fine because I still got a foot in the word. But that stretching produces an instability in your life. Jesus is telling us, and he brought this word to you to tell you that you cannot be both. This is my favorite type of preaching. It's the pin drop type of preaching, not the clappy, clappy type of preaching. He's telling us that we can't be both. Why? Because to be in Christ intrinsically means that we have to accept seasons, seasons of not being in comfort. I'm not saying it's wrong to be comfortable, to be in comfort. This world has a lot of comforts to offer. Has anyone here ever flown first class, business class, anyone? It's okay, you can put your hand up. No one's going to judge you, okay, that you're bougie. You ever fly first class? I've spent my whole life in economy. The seat I'm usually in is something like 48F. And I'm like, how they got that many rows on a plane that I'm in 48? But about three years ago, I was blessed to sit in first class. I got a ticket booked for me. Oh, I can't whistle. Is that how you do it? And, and, and you know, I was pretty excited. I'm like, this is great. This was my first time, right, in my life sitting in first class. And I get there to first class. Y'all, if you haven't sat there, first class is nice. It's nice. This is not economy, okay? Doesn't economy just sound bad? Because, like, congratulations, here's your economy ticket. I mean, no one is ever excited about that. You go to first class, you're not the last person on the plane. You get on the plane first because you're excited about it. You sit down, and someone actually asks you if you want a drink right away. Like, you get service. It's amazing. And then let me tell you what happens if you're anything like me. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Peter, but I'm still Simon. I'm saved, but I got a little flesh in me still. And, and I, I was sitting there in that, that row two first-class seat. y'all. my nose got so high. I was looking at all these peasants walking by me, <laughs> going to economy, and I'm like, now I'm sipping my drink. I'm just acting like I've lived my whole life like this. They don't know I spent my whole life in 48F. They don't know that my return ticket, I'm sitting in 48F on this trip. <laughs> but I'm sitting there just judging them as they go by. Enjoy your trip in economy. I'll be up here in first class. Yeah, there are some real nice comforts in this life. If someone blesses you with first class, be thankful for it, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. This isn't a poverty gospel I'm trying to bring you. It's a good thing. There are comforts in this life that are great, but here's the problem with the comforts of this life. None of them last. First class lasts for a three-hour flight. When you get off, you're like everybody else. This life that we are living is but a vapor compared to our eternity. That three-hour flight, that's like like your life compared to your eternity. See, the comforts of this life, they don't last. They might help you for a season, but they go away. And get this, all those comforts, you you can have a private jet flying, but if your soul is at war, if you don't have peace in your soul, you can't enjoy it. You can't even enjoy the good comforts that this world brings you when your soul is at war. That's why verse 26 says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What Jesus is saying is you got to put a priority on your soul. Guys, I think God is far more concerned about doing a work in us than doing a work for us. Far more concerned about that. I'm glad that you'll clap for that because we pray for the blessings. We we pray prayers like this, God, give me that job that I need. A better prayer is this, God, equip me to be prepared for the job that you have for me. Prepare me for the table that you have already set for me. Last week we preached on this, not give me, Lord, make me. Make me your servant, give me what I need. Help me with discipline so that I can learn and I can grow. This one, I talk to young people all the time. They pray prayers like this, God, bless me with a great wife. Bless me with a great husband. I see everybody else getting married. I said, you got to stop praying that way. you got to say, God, make me the type of man that is worthy of the woman of my dreams. Make me like that and then bring her into my life because I don't want her into my life right now. i got to get right first. Trust me, single people in this room. If you will get yourself where God wants you, he will provide that spouse for you. It's an inward journey and an inward battle more than it is an outward one. you got to get right. It's, it's, like, it's almost like we think that God is withholding things back from us. And if we just beg a little more and get down on our knees a little more, then you know, maybe we'll move him to give it to us. That's not how God operates. He is your father, and he loves you. He wants to bless you, but he is not going to bless you with something that you've been waiting for if the weight of that blessing will crush you. He will wait until you are ready for it because he loves you. So the proper prayer isn't give me, give me. The proper prayer is make me. Because what is your dream job if you get it and you get fired in a week? And then it's gone. What is your dream, girl, if on the second date you just try to get her to sleep with you instead of win her heart? Oh, I'm preaching now. You're like, bring that worship team back up. I don't like this guy. Get him out of here. I speak Jesus. Yeah, you speak Jesus on that second date, too. See, he wants your blessing to last. But we we pray for the comfort. We pray For the for the blessings, what we really need to pray is for discipline. For discipline that we can move out of that comfort zone and that then he will provide the grace that we need. Because guys, if we're honest, what we want to do is we want to stay in our comfort zone and have a change in our circumstances. Change in your circumstances does not happen when you stay in the same place. If you go to the gym like I used to many years ago, if you go to the gym, you will know that the only way you change is by being uncomfortable. If it's a comfortable experience, you are not losing weight and you're not building muscle. It's only if you, in fact, get so comfortable that you get to the point of failure that your muscles actually grow. But what we do is we are so scared of failure in this life that we put limitations on ourselves to stay inside of our comfort zone. Heaven forbid that we may fail and somebody might see it. That's what we do. But my friends, failure is the best professor in life. You can learn more from one failure than a dozen victories. Someone I respect told me this one day, he said, Ryan, I could tell you all the great things I've done and impress you, or I could tell you how I've screwed up and help you. It's failures in life that really, really help you learn and help you grow. But we're so scared of the embarrassment of that that we impose these limitations that keep us in our comfort zone. But my friends, God is not a God of limitations. He does not want you to live a limited life. This is where the message turns and you can get happy again. God is not a God of limitations. He is the God of exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. If you've ever been to church, you should be clapping right now. That's the one. That's the one. We love that one. But that one doesn't happen in your comfort zone. That's Ephesians 3.20. You know where that was written? That was written by the Apostle Paul on his knees on a brick floor in a Roman prison. You think that's comfortable, being in a Roman prison? And he has the faith to say that? Your comfort zone, my friends, if you're not comfortable, will become the prison of your life. A comfortable prison is still a prison. You got to watch how comfort can just sneak in, man. And, in fact, I think the greatest enemy of faith today is familiarity. We won't won't go to a new people because we're not familiar with them. Ooh, a small group? There's people there. I'm not going to that. No way. Worship? Sure. Yeah, no problem. I'll go to that. But something with people? No, 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 no. We want what's familiar. The greatest enemy of progress in your life is comfort. Comfort will kill you with a thousand little slow daggers. It's not a fast process, but if you're not careful, comfort leads to this thing called complacency. And after a while, complacency leads to this next phase called stagnation. If you know anything about water, moving water, rushing water, brings life and life more abundant to everything around it. But stagnant water, water that sits in one place, it starts to stink. And then it breeds disease. And then that disease breeds death. Your body is 70% water. Why do we think that we're any different? And it's not just your physical body, it's your soul. If if we become complacent with our soul, that's what happens. Stagnation comes in and it's what the devil wants. The devil will use comfort as a tool. Guys, the real reason, though, we want to stay in comfort, if we're being honest, at least for me. I can tell you for me. I can't tell you for you. Is that I'm comfortable when I'm in control. So I want situations where I'm in control, because that's where I feel comfortable. It is not comfortable in this life not having control. It just is not. It's not comfortable when you don't have control. We love to be in control. Where are my control freaks? Let me see your hand. Who's bold enough to say it? Come on. You love to control things. I do. Yeah? Okay. A lot of you are bold enough. Let me just tell you something. There are two things in list life that you can't control. One is the weather. It's Canada. It sucks. Okay. You can't control that. The second look to your left and look to your right is people. You can't control the weather and you can't control people. But when you are a control freak, you can spend a whole lot of your life trying to control people. Losing control in your life is a scary proposition. Carrie Underwood makes it sound great. Jesus, take the wheel. That sounds so beautiful. It's scary when he takes the wheel. It's a scary proposition. The thought of not driving your own car, of becoming the passenger in your life. I mean, what if Jesus takes you to the Don Valley Parkway at 5 p.m.? What if he takes you to the 410 in Brampton? You're going to die for sure. 100% you're not making it through there, West End people. There's no way. It's scary when he takes the wheel. But see, well, let me just ask you another question before I go there. Is there yeah, I just got to vent for a minute. I promise we'll get back to worship. This will be quick. Who here hates it when other people drive their car? I can't stand it when other people drive my car. I really love my car. There is nothing worse than your wife driving your car. Shoot, she's here. I was hoping she was with the baby. That's not good. There is nothing worse. Husbands, come on, you don't have to put your hand up because you might be with your spouse and I care about you. So just keep your hand down, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? Other people driving your car is the worst, it's annoying. Let me show you how petty I am and what a control freak I am, okay? For 10 years of our relationship, I only bought cars with manual transmissions. Because she don't know how to drive a stick, and I do. Oh, babe, I'd love to let you drive my car, but it's just standard, sorry. Yeah, I'll teach you next month, don't worry never taught her a thing she don't know what a clutch is it's terrible when someone else is driving your car that's the bad news about letting God drive your life you care about your car you care about your comfort you don't want to hand it over to someone else but see the way that God operates is that he is not so much concerned with your comfort or your control as much as he is concerned with your soul your soul is his chief concern, and if you've got to be uncomfortable for a season to have your soul saved, he will do it, man, if you will let him. That's why verse 25, it says this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's not that you lose your life and it's gone. No, it's how you find real life is by letting him drive because he knows what's coming up tomorrow. You don't. I don't. you got to lose control in order to find life is what Christ is saying. We can't save ourselves because we can't make ourselves. That was the message last week. We can't save ourselves because we can't make ourselves. It doesn't mean that you got to physically die. That's not what Christ is saying in this verse. What it means is that you need to be willing to not be in the driver's seat anymore. There is someone who has been living life white-knuckled, two hands on the wheel. And you've been so afraid to let anyone else have any control of any decision that you make in your life. And it's time for you to let go and let God grab that wheel and steer your life a little bit. But it's uncomfortable. When Christ told his disciples and his followers that he would die, guess what happened? His popularity started to tank. When he was the king of kings, Palm Sunday, come on in, yeah, yeah. When when people start realizing what's going to happen, all of a sudden, those same people that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, are saying, kill him, kill him. It's, 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 it's uncomfortable when you lose your comfort. It's uncomfortable when how you thought it was going to work out for you, plans change. And it becomes different. Peter thought that he was going to be God's, num- God's son's number two and reign and, and, and defeat the Roman Empire and, and sit on the throne, on the right hand of the throne of Israel. It, this is not how it was supposed to go. If you don't hear anything else that I tell you tonight, please just hear this one thing. It's hard to hear the voice of God when you've already decided what he's going to say. It's hard to hear the voice of God when you've already decided what he's going to say. For some of us, that phone has been ringing and ringing and ringing, but every time we pick it up, it's not what we want to hear. <laughs> oh, that one wasn't for me, God. God. And we put it down. Some of us have been going, why don't we hear his voice? It's not that we don't hear his voice. It's that we don't like what it's saying. Oh, man, I don't know if you were ready for this message tonight. But the question is this. The question when it comes to control is this, is who gets to drive? Who gets to make the plan? Is it you or is it your maker? Do you want your destination or do you want his destination? Because they are two very different places. Do we want to be in control, in comfort, or do we want to be in Christ? Because just like I told you at the beginning, we can't be both. We can't be both at all times. It's why Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To take up your cross and follow him, that doesn't sound like a lot of control that you have. In fact, the parallel gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, puts it like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's one extra word, but it changes things. Every day we got to surrender control and bring it all back to him. And I know, guys, this, this is sounding like a lecture, and this is sounding like a gloomy message, but this is not a sad story. No, 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 no. There is so much good news when you surrender to him. There is a peace that comes upon your life when you hand over the wheel. Being a control freak in your life, trying to control your kids and your husband and your wife and your parents and your career, that is exhausting. I lived my life like that for about 30 years and it's exhausting. It's a miracle I don't have gray hair yet. It's it's hard living that way when you lose your life to him, when you surrender When you take up your cross daily and follow him, my friends, what you get is unbelievable. The comfort that comes from knowing that your soul is eternally safe, that you have an eternity with him, the comfort that knowing that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear anymore because your maker is there in it with you, ordering your steps, that is a real comfort. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a peace like a river. That's what comes into your life when you make that choice. But the world wants you to believe that comfort in this life is all about quantity. How much can we accumulate? How many titles? How many accolades? How much money? If I can just get that house, I'll be happy. If I can just get to the next thing, I'll be happy. Your happiness and contentment in this life, my friends, is not a matter of quantity. It's a matter of quality. It's not a matter of how much you can get. It's who you can get it from. When you get it from him, when he's in control and he orders your steps and you walk in those steps, it's it's absolutely a comfort that is unparalleled in quality. That's the kind of comfort that I want. Is there anyone in this room that wants that kind of comfort in their life? Yeah. You're handling this message better than I thought you would. Let's be honest. To know the one who set the stars into motion, to know that the one who hung the universe, the great canvas, the great artist, to know that he is for you, not against you, and that he is now driving your life, and you don't have to worry what tomorrow holds anymore because you know the one that holds tomorrow in the palm of his hands, my friends, it's a comfort that will release you from more stress than you could ever imagine in your life. If that's what you want tonight, we're going to go back into worship so you can stand to your feet. And the worship team is going to come back up and in just a couple moments, we're going to close this night out the best way we can in worship. But if that's what you want, you can play those keys, Jonathan. If that's what you want in your life is that kind of peace, that kind of contentment, not the cheap first class type that lasts three hours, then you have an opportunity This is why we do more worship after the word. Because on Sunday you get the word and then you're out. You got lunch and you got life hits you and more things happen. Not here. You have an opportunity. I don't know if you're ready maybe to just let go of the wheel. But you can loosen your white knuckles a little bit. And you can just let go of that grip a little bit. And let the one who is good and who is for you drive for a little while can stop striving and and, and trying to do it all on your own. You were never designed to do this life on your own. And you can let Him have control. And what you'll find, my friends, is that you will no longer need the comforts of this world. You won't need them. They will just fade away, which is crazy that God will still bless you and He'll provide for you. He's your great provider, but you won't need them to find contentment anymore. Because to be in Christ is so much better to be in comfort or in control. What will it profit a man or a woman if they gain this whole world yet lose their soul? Tonight is the time to take a few minutes and just really search. Search your soul and go to the Lord and go, what am I seeking? Am I seeking to be in control? Am I just seeking things that will make me more comfortable? Or am I seeking Christ? Am I seeking the only thing that will fill that gap in my heart? Guys, you may feel out of control. But never forget that he holds tomorrow. He holds what your future is. This scene that you're in is not the end of your story. He controls the next page, the next chapter, all the way to the end. He's the alpha, he started your story, and he's the omega, he will finish your story. But someone's got to let go tonight and let God. You've got to let go and let God drive a little bit. Because he has said and spoken that he has good plans for you. And if he says it, then it is so. You can take it to the bank. And no matter the trials that this life throws at you, No matter how hard it gets, you can rest assured knowing that he will never leave you, never forsake you, or never abandon you. But it might not always be comfortable. And you might have to let go of a little bit of control. And you might just have to rely on that peace that you find in Christ. That's the word of the Lord for you tonight. It's time to let go.